are so grateful for that truth that we can sing. That one day we will see your face. One day we will sin no more. Father, the, the mere thought that there will actually be a moment when we commit our final sin. How glorious is that thought? That there is an end to our sin. Because of what Jesus has done. Because of what Jesus is doing in us now. So Father, we long for that day. In in our world where people suffer, people in our faith families suffer, where we must weep with one another because there is much to weep about. Father, in, in this world where those who are most vulnerable are discarded. Father, we pray with vigor, come Lord Jesus. Come even now, even now. Father, as we open your word now, I I pray that you would speak, that you would give us eyes to see what you would have us to see, ears to hear, that you would give us hearts that would receive, that you would give us hands and feet that would respond in obedience to your word. So Spirit, come now, speak through the preaching of your word. Convict hearts, comfort hearts. Give us what we need, even if it's not what we want. All for your glory, all for Christ's sake. It's in his name we pray, amen. You can be seated. As you arrange yourself in your seat there, I want to invite you to take out your copy of God's word, if you brought it with you. And turn with me to the book of Jonah. We began our study of Jonah last week by looking at the first three verses. This week, uh, we're going to take it through verse 10. I debated, I was like, how slow do we want to go through this? And I remembered I already told you, six weeks. So... um, Uh, I considered only looking through verse 6, but we're actually going to take it all the way through verse 10 today. Um, And immediately following our service, there are a a few life groups that will be meeting uh, on on our campus here. And uh, the reason for that is we will have TC Kids uh, immediately following the service. So uh, just as a reminder, we'll get this later, but K-6 through Kids will meet in the fellowship hall. And you guys will be discussing uh, the sermon. Children will be discussing the sermon. And then uh, adult life groups will be discussing the sermon as well. Uh, Life group leaders will have discussion questions. But I did want to encourage you, in the uh, booklet that you received, there are two pages right in the middle, right where the staples are, uh, two sermon notes pages. Uh, One of them is blank. One of them has guided questions. I really want to encourage you to interact uh, with the sermon through that if if that helps you. If it doesn't help you to write anything down, then don't worry about it. But uh, one of the purposes of Life Group is not for you to come and just listen to the leader's questions and try to give your best answer. It's 
it's for you to share with others how the Lord is speaking to you through his word. So uh, those are questions that, that I want you to try to answer. And, and then just the blank notes, page two, just, just what is, how is the Lord speaking through his word? Um, you know, I'll have some application, but it's the spirit who ultimately applies the word to our hearts. And so I, I pray that you would just, as you listen to the sermon, just interact with it and then take some of those questions to life group. You be the one that has more questions than any questions that I would, I would send out. Um, so just, just wanted to encourage you there. Jonah chapter one, I'm gonna read from verse four to verse 10. Actually, you know what? We'll start from the beginning. Start from the beginning, just in case you are new, not familiar with the story, or man, that was, that was seven days ago, I already forgot. So let's start in verse one and read through verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told him. This is God's word. Um, I read this... uh, old English poem the other day and I you know I do love to read I read a lot poetry though is really not my thing like you know when I when I read some of the psalms I'm like okay yeah yeah that's that's really interesting I guess that's supposed to be a beautiful way of saying that it just it doesn't always hit me like that though you know um so I don't I don't typically read poetry but I did come across this really interesting uh poem called the hound of heaven I don't know if you've ever ever read it or heard it read. It's it's a really really long poem. It's like 180 you know lines long. It's really long. Um, I want to encourage you to go and read. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. Don't don't get afraid. It's like oh, long sermon, long poem, long everything. My goodness. Um, but uh, I do want to read just the first couple uh, lines from this this poem, and then the last the last few lines. It, it's a poem about a man who is running from God. And, and it's a poem about a God who will not let that man go. So let me read a few lines. This is, how, this is how the poem opens. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the maze-like ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him and under running laughter. From those strong feet that followed, followed after 
but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat and a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. So that's how, that's how the poem starts. This man who is immediately sensing that even though he's running from God, that he's on the hunt. The hound is after him. He's chasing him down. And then at the very end, you, you have from, from the perspective of God, this, this, is how, this is how the poem kind of closes. Whom wilt thou find to love ennoble thee? Save me, save only me. All which I took from thee, I did but take, not for thy harms, but just that thou mightest seek it in my arms. All which thy child's mistake fancies as lost, I have stored for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. And uh, if, if you're like me and you're like, oh, I know some of those words, you know, and it doesn't really connect. Uh, some of you are already crying, like you just, the literary minds in this room. Uh, but Tolkien, uh, you know, the author of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, he actually comments on this, and I, and I find what he says a little more helpful. He, he, he writes this, as the hound follows the hare, never ceasing in its running, ever drawing nearer in the chase, with unhurrying and imperturbed pace, so does God follow the fleeing soul by his divine grace. And though in sin or in human love, away from God it seeks to hide itself, divine grace follows after, unwearyingly follows ever after, till the soul feels its pressure, forcing it to turn to him alone in that never-ending pursuit. This is Jonah. Jonah is a prophet of the Lord. Jonah has lived for some time in obedience to the Lord. He had a successful ministry in Israel, prophesying in the time of Jeroboam II. But Jonah receives a call from the Lord that last week we discussed he didn't like, he didn't understand, and he did not want to fulfill. He did not want the Ninevites, this evil, wicked people, to hear of God's grace. And the Lord did not say that he was going to share his grace, but Jonah knows God. And he knows that if there is a warning, then there's probably a chance for repentance. And Jonah only cares about his own kind. He only cares about Israel. He is rejoicing in God's grace and favor to Israel. But the Gentile nations can perish away. He does not care. And one of the few instances in the Old Testament where you see God's clear concern for the nations, Jonah rebels against it. He defies God's will. He disobeys God's word. And instead of rising up to go to Nineveh, what does he do? He rises up and he goes in the opposite direction. His plan was to go to, to Joppa where he would be at a port, where he would get on a boat to go to Tarshish, which was the furthest place in the known world at the time on the west coast of Spain. Jonah said, I was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, not because Jonah knows or thinks that he can somehow escape God's presence by going to a different land, but he wants out of God's business. He doesn't want to be a prophet anymore. Jonah is done with God, and so he runs. You know, the last the sermon last week in the first, the first three verses really you have this command from the Lord and you have this response from Jonah. The Lord says, go and, and look at verse three. 
Look at verse three, the first two words. But Jonah rose and he, he disobeyed. It's like God has this clear missionary call and it's, then the next word is, but Jonah. And so Jonah, it seems, thwarts the purposes and plans of God. And then we, we read. You can, you can imagine Jonah. He makes this decision. No, not for me. I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm done. I'm out. I'm getting as far away from this place as I possibly can. And things start to work out for him, right? Like you would expect, you know, he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord and things just aren't going to work out. But everything lines up. Look, in verse 3, he went down to Joppa. He makes it to Joppa and he finds a ship going to the place that he wanted to go. He wants to go to Tarshish and there's a ship and it's going. And he has enough money to pay the fare. And he gets on board and you can imagine as Jonah boards the ship, this, this sense of relief. He's probably been wrestling night after night after night over this call that the Lord has given him as he's traveled. And he gets there and it's working out. The Lord is letting him go. He gets on the ship. You can almost sense the relief as, as the ship embarks on its journey. You can almost feel the tension that Jonah has felt just, just release. And what we learn about Jonah is that at some point in this journey, he goes down and he goes to sleep and he enters into a deep, deep sleep. The kind of sleep that, that you receive after you have had sleepless night after sleepless night after sleepless night and then your body just crashes. Everything started working out for Jonah. Jonah thinks he's in the clear. Look at the first words in verse four. But the Lord. God has a plan and he calls Jonah to go on mission for him. But Jonah. He stands in the way of that call. He's like, not me. Find somebody else or find another plan. But I can tell you right now, I'm not doing that. Jonah's gone. Everything looks favorably for Jonah and his rebellion. Verse four, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. The Lord sent the storm. You know, the author was very careful how, how he has constructed this, uh, this book. And he could have said, a storm arose, you know? Like, we would, like, he could describe the storm and all of its fury and all of its terror, and we would probably assume that it's from the Lord. But he is crystal clear that this storm didn't just pop up out of nowhere. God sent this storm. God allows Jonah to get on this boat and go to the place that he planned to go in the opposite direction the Lord wanted him to go, and then God sent a storm. It's this, this great terror of a storm because you notice 
that, you know, in verse 5, these mariners, they were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And, you know, I've never been on the open sea, so I don't really know what that's like. And, uh, but, you know, growing up, my, uh, my granddad, he had, he had a speedboat, you know, and we'd go on the lake and, and do all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you only go on the lake where it's a good day, but sometimes every now and then a, a storm will come out of nowhere or you just don't judge the time right and you stay out too long. Um, and a storm comes up. Well, he would always let me kind of like drive the boat. Do you drive boats? Like, I don't know much about boats. Whatever you do with a boat, you know, just kind of driving it around. He would always let me do that. And I would do it for a stretch. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And I'd like crank it up and we'd go real fast, you know. And then, he, he, you know, I could see him just kind of getting tenser and tenser and just inch closer and closer to me the faster I went. Go, okay, bud, slow down a little bit there. Um, but, and I was cool with it. Like, it was awesome. It was really fun. And then if even like the slightest like rain cloud started to form in the air, I'd start to just, my heart would race a little bit more. be like, okay, all right, all right. And I remember one time I, I was actually just kind of, kind of driving the boat casually and uh, a storm came pretty quickly. Like it moved in really fast and it was like this loud clap of thunder, like boom, 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 like that, you know, and I freak out because I have no idea what I'm doing. And so, but my granddad, he just like, he pulls me off of it so we all don't die. And then he just, he drives us, you know, back in, back into the dock um but he could do that and he drove and it I mean it did it was like a downpour like it's just like storming storming and the rain's coming but he's dry because he's done it for 30 years you know like he has experience he's not stressing out these mariners like the fact that they are stressing over this storm that they are afraid is a testament to how terrifying the storm must have been I mean you have experienced experienced mariners who are freaking out. So it first says that they were afraid, but then it said, look, look what their next option is. It says they cry out to their gods. These are pagans, okay? And they're each like, okay, like we're about to die. The, the end is near, okay? So we all have these different gods. Some gods probably responsible for this. So let's just all pray to our gods and ask him to stop the storm. And the storm doesn't stop. So like, okay, our God, that's not working. Let's, let's try another option. And they just start taking cargo and throwing it over. And we're, and we're not told why, we're not told what. I mean, it could have been as a way to try to appease the gods, you know, um, just like an offering of sorts. Um, I, don't, I don't know, you know, even what they were throwing off. It could have just been a measure of, of making the ship lighter. You know, we're not really sure. But they are taking extreme measures to try to abate this great and powerful storm and and none of that works and then you have this kind of so, so you can see it like the pandemonium on deck right like you can see it you can see these experienced sailors freaking out they're all crying out to their gods they are all taking all this cargo and tossing it hurling it into the sea you see the language is 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 parallel there the lord hurled a storm and these mariners are hurling all this stuff off and it's just this battle on deck and then we get a little picture of what's happening below Jonah's got his uh, sound machine on you know you guys with young kids have the sound machines you know and it's like you can as long as that sound machine's on you can have a party outside everybody can talk and have a good time the sound machine dies or something happens with it and then you're like oh yeah that was really funny and ah you know just like tears so Jonah he's he's down and he has his sound machine on but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep 
I mean, I don't really understand how he's sleeping with all this going on. I really don't. Uh, one, one author, you know, genuinely is like, no, he probably was just in that deep of a sleep. And I'm a really heavy sleeper, and sometimes Erica thinks that too. Like, if our house burns down, like, you're, you're going to be, like, the one. If you're ever by yourself at home and the house catches on fire, like, it's going to be too late for you because I just don't wake up. Like, I'm a really heavy sleeper. But so they thought maybe he really is just in this deep of a sleep. And then others think a little more more worse of Jonah. They think Jonah doesn't care to die. You know? It's like dying at sea at this point for Jonah, eh, no big deal. He's running from the presence of the Lord. He's given up. So I don't, I don't know exactly. All we know is that Jonah was asleep, and he was in a deep sleep. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, um, it actually had a footnote in there that, that said that Jonah was snoring very loudly. D- don't really know how they knew that, but they're probably like, oh, yeah, I know some guys that sleep real fast. I bet he was on his back, too. He was just snoring. And that's how the captain heard him down there. It's like, oh, yeah, we got somebody down, down below. Um, and so, the, But the captain does go down. And... You can, you can just see him, right? Like he's been frantic, trying to, to do whatever he can to save the ship. And he's soaking wet and he comes down. And he sees this dude just like taking a nap. And he goes over to him, what do you mean you sleeper? What are you doing? How could you sleep at a time like this? The least you could do is call out to your God. We've called on, our, on all our gods. And you can also see that these pagan sailors recognize there is someone responsible for this. Not just a person, they're going to cast lots later. But there is someone who is responsible for this great storm. We've called on all our gods and nothing has worked, but call on your God. Maybe he will give a thought to us so that we will not perish. And then what do we see from Jonah? Silence. Silence. He doesn't call on his God. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. They're like, okay, uh, this is a little theodicy for them. They're like, if there is this great storm that's come, this isn't normal. We've never seen anything like this before. So someone on board must be in trouble with, with a deity. Someone's in trouble. Who, who is this? Who's responsible for this storm? They cast lots and it falls on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land, which is really weak and ironic at this point, right? Because the very reason the storm has come is because Jonah does not fear the Lord. He has run from the Lord. He has rebelled against the Lord. He is not worshiping him. It's like, well, I know what you're asking. My ethnicity, I'm Hebrew. My religion, I worship their God. That's who I am. And then that clarifying comment. You notice how he describes God? I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made, he made everything, right? But he wanted, he wanted them to understand what was going on. He made the sea and the land. He made that sea. That sea out there, all that water, God made it. You know, the God that I'm running from, he made it. And then these mariners, verse 10, 
Then the men were exceedingly afraid. So you notice in verse 5, they're afraid of the storm. They're afraid of that storm. It was that ferocious. But when they learned there is someone on their ship who is rebelling against the God who owns the sea that is tormenting them, their fear ramps up a notch. They go from fearing the storm and now they're fearing the Lord. They're fearing his God because Jonah told them, I'm running away from him. So, that, that's our story. I, I want us to focus on two aspects of God's character that, that I hope not only reveals a couple things about him, but also reveals a few things about ourselves. You, you have this prophet of the Lord who has run from the Lord. You have God who has chased after him the way a hound chases a hare. You have Jonah, but Jonah in verse three, I'm not doing what you say. And then it says in verse four, but the Lord, I will not be outdone. The Lord says, I will not be outrun. I will have my way. Just wait and see. So there, there are two aspects of God's character here I wanna, I wanna emphasize. We have God sending this storm and it shows us two clear things about God. First, the storm testifies to God's sovereign control. So if you're a note taker, uh, first point here, the storm testifies to God's sovereign control. We've already seen it in verse four, but I don't think we can overemphasize it. But the Lord, but the Lord, but God. When Jonah left you would think, like for us, when our plans, you know, fall apart, you know, this happens all the time. We make plans and another person just blows up our plans and we're like, all right, what's plan B? That's not gonna work because I can't make him do what I want him to do. What's plan B? You notice with God, there is no plan B. Plan B is plan A. My mission is for the Ninevites to hear a warning from my prophet. And just because my prophet is in rebellion against me doesn't mean I'm not going to get my way. You see his sovereign control, but God, God does not give up on his mission. And it's not just this storm that comes up and the Lord's like, well, that was convenient. Man, I'm really glad that, you know, the weather patterns just worked out well. As soon as Jonah gets on the sea, boom, there's a storm. All right. You know, thanking Matt Laban for letting him know. No, the Lord's in control of this. We don't know what the weather was like at the time. It could have been completely calm. No one expecting a storm to come. And the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. The Lord creates a storm out of nothing, out of nowhere. He creates a storm. And these pagan sailors, they recognize this, right? Because what's the first thing that they do? These experienced sailors, they probably took some measures initially, but then they were understanding, I, we can't, okay, we don't know what to do now. Like, this is beyond our pay grade, so now let's get religious. 
all right? Some, some divine being, someone way more powerful than us is in control here and doing something. Even before Jonah, a prophet of the Lord, recognizes that these pagan sailors recognize that there is a God who is in control of this storm. And what we see in this storm is that nothing and no one can thwart the plans and purposes of God. Nothing and no one can stop God from having his way. We have a hard time understanding that because we often face difficult people in our lives, especially in families, right? Children, parents, friends, other relatives. We, we face difficult people who sometimes do not allow us to accomplish what we're wanting to accomplish, And we can't do anything about it. And it's painful and it hurts. But the Lord makes plans and because he is providential over all things, he brings all of those plans to fulfillment. He brings all of those plans to pass. A runaway prophet cannot stop the Lord from having his way with the people of Nineveh. The Lord sent a storm to show Jonah and to show us that nothing and no one can stop God from fulfilling his plans and purposes. So God's plan for your life, his will for your life, there isn't one single person on this earth who can stop God from having his way with you. No one. So don't think that you can make excuses. Well, you know, I would... I would probably be further along in sanctification. I would probably be obeying more. I would probably be doing God's will more if I just, you know, had gotten a better start in life. You know, like just, I didn't, my parents didn't teach me the Bible growing up. So, you know, I, maybe if I had had better parents, I would be further along in my walk. Or, you know, I just, I just have a rough workplace and it's just a job where it's just a really worldly place and there are a lot of people there who don't know Jesus and so I get kind of caught up all the time. But man, if I was, if I was in a, a better job, then sure, I would be obeying the Lord a lot more frequently. Now we don't have room to make excuses because there is nothing and no one, nothing and no one that can stop God's purposes from being fulfilled in us. So don't think don't think just because you have a difficult job or you had a horrible upbringing that you cannot be in the center of God's will and you cannot carry out the mission of God right where you are. You see, what we learn here is Jonah wants to go to Tarshish and first he has to go to Joppa and he gets on this boat with all of these sailors and he gets on this sea and he goes down and he goes to sleep and what Jonah forgets is that God owns Tarshish and God owns Joppa and God owns the boat and God owns the sea and God owns the sailors and what he really forgot, God owns Jonah. He is the creator. He is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. And he has the right to do whatever he wishes with his creation. It belongs to him. We do that illustration with the kids with Play-Doh. We give them Play-Doh. They make whatever they want. You know why? It's theirs. It's theirs. 
The Lord has the right to do whatever he wishes with his creation. And what he wishes is to fulfill his plans and purposes and no one, not even a rebellious prophet, can get in God's way. And here's something else I want you to notice. And this might be more of a warning for us that God isn't dependent on Jonah's obedience. He isn't dependent on it. God chose to reach Nineveh through the preaching of his word by sending the prophet Jonah. So, you know, from our end of things, it looks like, well, God really needs Jonah to have his stuff straight. If that's the plan, Jonah has to obey, Jonah has to do what Jonah's supposed to do, or it's not going to work out. And it looks like God's not going to have his way. But Jonah forgot. God's in control. He's in control. And he has made a plan. And one way or another, his plan will come to pass. So maybe it's a warning for us. God is not dependent on you and me to reach the city with the gospel. He's not depending on us. We are depending on him to provide what we need to fulfill that mission. But he doesn't depend on us. If it is his will to reach every single individual in this city with the gospel, he will accomplish it with us or without us. He doesn't need us. But he has given his church a clear call, a clear command to go with the gospel into the nations and into our neighborhoods. So, one encouragement there, let's be on the other side of Jonah. Let's respond to that call with obedience, but never assuming that God needs us to accomplish his plans. He is the one who is sovereign. He is the one who is in control. The storm testifies to God's sovereign control. But a second thing that the storm shows, the storm is evidence of God's saving compassion. The storm is evidence of God's saving compassion. And we see it in three ways in three groups of people. First, God reveals himself to pagans. You notice this, right? If there is, you know, a lot of people when they do like character studies or book studies, they, they try to, to look at a character like Jonah and they're like, okay, well, how can we be like Jonah or how can we be like Daniel? And um, if there's anyone in this passage that we need to um, model or that we need to follow as an example, it's not Jonah. It's the pagan sailors. The pagan sailors, they recognize through this storm that they have a real need. You know, they were experts. They were the best. And they couldn't figure out the storm. They realized really quickly, God is much greater than me. Now, they didn't know him personally. They didn't know him specifically, but they did recognize just through the storm God is so much greater than me. I'm in desperate need of help, and I can't do it on my own. And so they just start calling out to all their gods. They start searching through this storm, even though this storm is specifically for Jonah. You know, the Lord has sent this storm for Jonah. The pagan sailors get caught up not just in the consequences of Jonah's sin, but they get caught up in the consequences of God's compassion. You know, God is compassionately pursuing Jonah, and we're going to see that in a second. But in the middle of doing that, he compassionately reaches these pagan sailors. We're going to look at it next week, but, but go on down toward the end of chapter 1. And look, look at verse 14. 
Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Do you see their progress in chapter one? They start out calling out to all these gods and they're afraid of the storm. And then when they recognize who Jonah is and who his God is, they're like, well, we're afraid of him. We're afraid of that God. No, these other ones, we don't know. They, they can't do anything. We're afraid of that one. And then it says in verse 14, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And, and you'll notice the prophet of the Lord does not testify to them one time of who God is other than saying he's the one who made the land and the sea. Because Jonah's completely indifferent. He doesn't care if these pagans perish. They're not Israelites. Jonah only cares about Israelites. But these pagan sailors, the Lord reveals himself even through the storm to show his great glory. So we see God's compassion, even though the point of the storm was to call Jonah back, his compassion reaches even these pagan sailors. But God's saving compassion is not just seen in how he reveals himself to pagans, it's, it's seen in how he pursues his prophet. Um, Jonah, Jonah is not very admirable. You know, he, he only wants to obey God on, on his terms. He, he completely defies God's will. He completely disobeys God's word. He doesn't want any part of it. We don't want our children to grow up to be Jonah's in chapter one. That's not what we want of our children. We want our children to obey the Lord and to respond with faith. And when the Lord calls us to do something, we want our children, we want ourselves to go and do as he has asked us to do. Jonah is running as hard as he can, as fast as he can, as far as he can away from the presence of the Lord and God caught him. He sends this ferocious storm And we look at that storm as judgment from the Lord. We look at that storm as a consequence of Jonah's sin because it is. But do you know what this storm actually is? It's not condemnation. It's compassion. The worst thing God could have done to Jonah is leave him alone. Leave him alone. I'm done with you I'm gone. I'm rejecting your mission. I'm out. The worst thing God could have done to Jonah is say, okay, and let him go. The worst thing for Jonah would have been to have the most comfortable voyage and to land in Tarshish and to live out his retirement in comfort and in peace. That would have been the worst possible end for Jonah. But God sent a storm. He sent a ferocious storm. He hurled winds against this ship so that it threatened to break up because he loved Jonah. So, side point from that, if the Lord sends a storm in your life to pull you out of the depths of your own sin to wake you up it's not because he's wanting to condemn you it's because he loves you Jonah's sin 
cannot outrun God's grace. Your sin cannot outrun God's grace. He will chase you down and bring you back. He pursues his people relentlessly. If you belong to him, nothing will ever change that. If you are truly in Christ and you set out to run as far away from God as you possibly can, he will run after you until he brings you all the way home. And he will win. He will win. Jonah cannot, cannot outrun God. And here's, here's kind of the scary part of that. God will use any means necessary to preserve us. We fully believe that God preserves his people. But he will use any means necessary to preserve us. No matter how painful it may be for us. You know, the storm genuinely is a consequence of Jonah's sin, though. I mean, if Jonah had responded to God's call with obedience, there would be no storm on the sea. Jonah wouldn't be in a ship. He'd be on his way to Nineveh. It's a consequence of Jonah's sin, but the intention from the Lord for his people is mercy. It's mercy. It's a consequence of sin, but it's not condemnation. It's a consequence of sin that flows out of compassion because the Lord wants you in the center of his will and he will not let you stray that far. He will come and get you and bring you back. So another warning for us here. Too much comfort in sin could be evidence that we're not in Christ. Okay? If you are totally good with your sin and you're just completely comfortable, it could mean that the Lord has relented and his hands are off. It could be that you're not in Christ. Because the Lord pursues all of his people, all of his people, so that when we are in sin, we are tormented. We are tormented by habitual sin. It doesn't mean that once we recognize that and we turn to Jesus in faith that we're never going to sin again. That's why we sing the songs that we sing and pray the way we pray about Jesus returning. But it does mean if you are totally comfortable in your sin and in your rebellion and in your running, it could be because God's not chasing after you. And if that's the case, it's because you are not in Christ. You have not repented of your sin, turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus. So it's a warning for us. Beware being comfortable with your sin. And if you feel, because oftentimes when we feel the pressure, the pressure of not just our sin, but God's, God's uh, grace upon us, we often feel like, if I truly was in Christ, I wouldn't feel this way and I would not sin. But know that if you do feel that pressure from the Lord, it is evidence to you that you belong to Jesus. So God pursues his people. And the third line of evidence here of God's saving compassion is God remains committed to his love for Nineveh. He remains committed to Nineveh. Because we forget about Nineveh because Nineveh is not mentioned in these verses. But if you go back to verse two, the, the whole plan the whole time, 
The call all along was for Jonah to go to Nineveh. The only reason that this storm exists is because Jonah refused to go to Nineveh. But Jonah doesn't care about Nineveh. Jonah doesn't care about the Gentiles. And he doesn't care about God's mission to go to them. He's completely indifferent. He only cares about his own kind. He only cares about his own people. He's thankful for God's grace to Israel. He doesn't care if God extends grace to anybody else. And in fact, he doesn't want God to extend grace to anybody else. But God remains committed to his love for Nineveh. God pursued Jonah, not just for Jonah's sake, but for Nineveh's sake. God's love for the nations compelled him to send a storm to wake Jonah up. It's for Nineveh. It's his great love, not just for his people, but for those who are not his people. God's plan to send his people to the nations does not change. As, as I said earlier, you can disobey his call to go to the nations. You can disobey his call to go to your neighbors with the gospel. That will not stop him from reaching them. You, you cannot thwart his purposes. You cannot thwart his plans. And his plan is to send his people to the nations because he cares for them. He has deep compassion for Nineveh, this sinful, godless people who are so far from him. He desperately wants them for himself. And so he sends a storm to wake his people up so that they would go. Jonah was content for his people to be spared and all others to perish. And so a question I want to ask of Trace Crossing, are we content to build up our church here? Are we content to pour into one another here just for our own sake? Are we content to grow inwardly while those outside these walls who don't know Jesus will one day perish and are presently under the wrath of God. Are we content? Are we content to ignore God's call, to defy God's will for the nations and for our neighbors? Are we gonna be like Jonah and just go to the bottom of the boat and just fall asleep? Just fall asleep and be content in our disobedience. Or will we recognize that God's plan to save sinners through the blood of Jesus comes through the preaching of his word, comes through sending people like you and me who have the gospel to those who do not have it, and will we respond to that with obedience? Because God sent a storm. He sent a storm because he loves those who don't know him. He sent a storm because he loves Nineveh. He sent a storm because he loves the nations. Will the Lord have to send a storm upon us to wake us up to go and love this city with the gospel? 
One final, one final point I want to make um, is we're wanting to do this every week, show how Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jesus refers to himself in Matthew 12 as the greater Jonah. And we see uh, a few things here. When, when Jesus, do you remember the story where Jesus is on uh, a boat with his disciples and he's on, he's on the sea and this, this great storm comes upon the sea and it comes upon the boat and, and where's Jesus? Does anybody know the story? He's asleep, right? He's asleep, just like Jonah. Jonah was asleep, Jesus was asleep. So, so I, wanna, I wanna highlight a couple, a couple things here. Um, Jonah is asleep on this ship in defiance of God's will, right? He, he's asleep because he's done with God. And, and sometimes sleep is the safest place to get away from God. You're, you're not able to think. He's not able to press upon your thoughts. And so he's sleeping in defiance of God's will. Jesus slept on a boat resting in God's will, fully obeying his father at every single point, fully resting in God's will. Jonah was apathetic and powerless in response to the storm. So you notice when, when the captain comes down and he tells him, hey, what are you doing? Wake up, there's a storm. Call out to your God. What does Jonah do? Nothing. Nothing. For two reasons. First, he does not care about these pagan sailors. He doesn't go up on deck and try to help. So what can I toss off? What can I do? What can I do? Who can I, you know, I'm gonna pray to my God. No, he doesn't, because he, he doesn't care about them, but also Jonah's completely helpless too. He's a mere man. He is totally helpless. And what does Jesus do? When they say, hey, Jesus, storm, why are, why are you asleep? Wake up. Jesus wakes up and he talks to the storm like it's a little kid. And he's like, hey, be still, be quiet. And the storm stops. Jesus responds with compassion for those on the boat. And he responds with power, sovereign power over the wind and the sea. And then finally, Jonah, Jonah brought suffering on others as they shared the consequences of his sin. You notice that, right? These sailors, they're in trouble all because of Jonah. Think about this great storm and other ships that would have been on the sea that we don't see in this story. They would have been suffering too. All of these people are suffering the consequences of one man's sin. He has brought all of these consequences of sin upon this ship. And then consider Jesus. Jesus did not bring suffering upon others. Jesus suffered for others. And he alone fully and finally and completely bore the consequences of our sin. He did not bring the consequences of his own sin to bear on others. He absorbed all of the consequences of our sin on himself. And that's why we come to the table. The bread and the cup. We, uh, we come to the table because Jesus bore all of the consequences of our sin on himself, primarily the wrath of God. You and I, outside of Jesus, deserve God's wrath because of our sin. We do. And if, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, God's wrath is upon you. But the good news is that unlike Jonah, Jesus was powerful, and unlike Jonah, Jesus was compassionate, and unlike Jonah, Jesus was sinless. And so Jesus went to a cross and his body was broken and his blood was shed. 
for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus went to the cross in your place, bearing all of the consequences of your sins so that by faith in him, you will never face condemnation. So that by faith in him, you will be one that God will pursue and chase down and bring back every single time. You will be one whose sin will be no match for God's grace. So um, I'm gonna invite us in just a second to come to the table. Uh, the, the way we do it here at Trace, we, we actually come down and, and bring, get the elements and we take them back to our seat and we, we gather up with friends and family and we uh, pray together and then, and then we take the elements together in that way. Uh, you do not have to be a member of Trace Crossing to, to come and take communion, uh, but you do have to be a Christian. You do have to be um, in Christ. And so like Olivia, I'm, like, it's just a, a privilege, a privilege uh, to be able to, uh, share in communion with you now um, that you are in Christ. And so uh, just want to encourage you in that way. You don't have to be a member here. Just if you're a Christian, you may, you may take. Um, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to do it, but I'll give you kind of some basic directions now. The way we're going to try it this morning is we're actually going to start on the back rows. And so if, the, if you're on the back row, if you could just like come this way toward the middle and come down and get the elements. And obviously if you're on this side, go back up that way. And if you're on this side, go back up that way. And then row after row, we'll, we'll come down and get it that way so that we're all just not up trying to get it at the same time. Let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll receive uh, communion. Father, I am so grateful that you pursued me. You are the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. You don't owe me anything. You don't owe those who have turned against you and rebelled against you and defied your will and disobeyed your word. You don't owe us anything. You should have let Jonah go. You should have let him go. He doesn't want you. Let him go. He's the one in sin. You've done nothing wrong. You sent a storm. But Jonah is no match for but the Lord. And so often in my life, it's but Matthew. God had a clear plan. Here's the clear call, but Matthew. And if not for your grace, that would be the end of the story. Because of your grace, there's another line, but God. Thank you for being more stubborn than, than we are. Thank you that your grace is more stubborn than our sin. You are the hound of heaven. You chase us down. And no matter how hard we run, no matter how fast we run, and no matter how hard we try to hide from you, because we belong to you as your people, you chase us and you find us and you break us and you bring us home. So Father, anyone in this room who feels that they are too far from you, do ever 
be in your presence again because of sin. And maybe they're doing it stubbornly and maybe they are feeling the weight of that guilt of how far they feel from you. I pray that they would be assured this morning that if they are in Christ, then you are on the chase. You are on the trail coming after them. Father, I pray that you would protect us from the indifference that we see in Jonah to the nations. Jonah is completely indifferent to those who are outside of you, of your will. He is completely indifferent to those who are not your people. Oh, may we never find ourselves indifferent to the lost in our city, indifferent to those who have never heard the gospel in this world. May we never be indifferent to your mission. Instead, ignite our hearts with a passion to be in step with your call to go with the gospel into all nations, baptizing and teaching. Father, I pray that we would rest in your sovereign control and that we would be compelled by your saving compassion to not only run to you, but then to run for you to others who don't know you and bring them back with us into your presence through the message of the gospel. Father, as we come to the table now, you commanded us to observe this Lord's Supper proclaiming the good news of the gospel until Christ returns as a reminder of what he did for us on the cross and as a picture of our communion with one another and our communion with you. We are only together with you because of Jesus' broken body, which is represented with this bread. We are only together with you because of Jesus' shed blood, which is represented with this cup. And we only have community with each other in this room because of Jesus' broken body and shed blood. So I pray that as we come to the table, it would be a grace to us. I pray that it would be a grace to help us put sin to death as we reflect on what Jesus has done. And I pray that it would be a grace to us that we would be drawn closer to you and closer to one another. All for the sake of of your great name being advanced in our hearts, in our city, and among the nations. We ask all this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Okay, I want to invite us to come to the table now. Again, we'll start with the back rows, and then we'll just move forward. And you can return to your seat, take communion at your seat, and then uh, we'll move forward in our service.